There's a period in the history of the kings of Judah that is missing from the genealogy of Christ in Matthew's gospel. Three kings are passed over there. There's no explanation given. Uh, the writer just skips over them as if they didn't exist. Uh, this is not that uncommon, really, when you're dealing with genealogies. The, the Old Testament, in a number of places, will do that. They'll skip a few people in, in a generation. But in this case, it seems inexplicable. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't have a, a reason, and, and it just seems strange. It's as if the writer just couldn't bring himself to write down the names of those kings in the genealogy of Christ. It was a dark period in the history of Israel. Whatever the reason, the three kings between Jehoram and Azariah are missing. <clears throat> and it's one of those kings, Amaziah, that I want to talk about tonight. We'll not read the entire story, uh, just for the sake of time. But if you want to turn to Second Chronicles 25, <coughs> we will begin reading at verse 6. <clears throat> Amaziah has just numbered the people to go to war, uh, he, and he feels he's come up short, so beginning at verse 6 we read, he hired also a hundred thousand mighty men of valor out of Israel for a hundred talents of silver. But there came a man of God to him, saying, O king, let not the army of Israel go with thee, for the Lord is not with Israel, to wit, with all the children of Ephraim. But if thou wilt go, do it, be strong for the battle, God shall make thee fall before the enemy." For God hath power to help and to cast down. And Amaziah said to the man of God, But what shall we do for the hundred talents which I have given to the army of Israel? And the man of God answered, The Lord is able to give thee much more than this. Then Amaziah separated them, to wit, the army that was come to him out of Ephraim, to go home again. Wherefore their anger was greatly kindled against Judah, and they returned home in great anger. And Amaziah strengthened himself, and led forth his people, and went to the valley of salt, and smote the children of Seir, ten thousand. And again, for just the sake of brevity, we'll skip down to verse 14. <clears throat> his campaign is successful, and he returns home. And then we read, Now it came to pass, after that Amaziah was come from the slaughter of the Edomites, that he brought the gods of the children of Seir, and set them up to be his gods and bowed down himself before them, and burned incense unto them. Wherefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against Amaziah, and he sent unto him a prophet, which said unto him, Why hast thou sought after the gods of the people, which could not deliver their own people out of thine hand? And it came to pass, as he talked with him, that the king said unto him, Art thou made of the king's counsel? Forbear. Why shouldest thou be smitten? Then the prophet forbear, and said, I know that God hath determined to destroy thee, because thou hast done this, and thou hast not hearkened unto my counsel. <clears throat> Character is not formed in a vacuum, and this man Amaziah is no exception. Before we get into this passage, I would like to take you back to that place in the genealogy where it suddenly stops. And I think it may help in seeing the character of the man that we're observing in this text. Our story begins with a good king, a good king with a bad tendency. It has been said that the bad habits of even good men can affect those that follow after them for generations. And we see that sadly played out in the lives of Jehoshaphat's sons and grandsons. 
by all accounts, Jehoshaphat was a good king. In fact, the scripture records that the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked, with, he walked in the first ways of his father David and sought not unto Balaam, but sought to the Lord God of his father and walked in his commandments and not after the doings of Israel. Therefore the Lord established the kingdom in his hand, and all Judah brought to Jehoshaphat presents, and he had riches and honor in abundance, and his heart was lifted up in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he took away the high places and groves out of Judah. But this good king had one very serious fault, for the scripture also tells us, Now Jehoshaphat had riches and honor in abundance, and joined affinity with Ahab. He was a friend to the wicked, and on two occasions he joined himself with them with immediate and terrible consequences. It was this tendency that proved almost fatal to the house of David, and certainly to Jehoshaphat's son. For Jehoram, either following his godly father's example to ally himself with the wicked, or perhaps as an unhappy product of his father's alliances, married Athaliah, the daughter of Ahab. And Jezebel. He began his reign by killing all his brothers to ensure his throne. And the scripture tells us that he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, like as did the house of Ahab. For he had the daughter of Ahab to wife, and he wrought that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord. His wickedness was rebuked by the prophet Elijah, for we read in 2 Chronicles 21, that there came a writing to him from Elijah the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord God of David thy father, because thou hast not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat thy father, nor in the ways of Asa king of Judah, but hast walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, and hast made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to go a-whoring like the whoredoms of the house of Ahab, and also hast slain thy brethren of thy father's house, which were better than thyself. Behold, with a great plague will the Lord smite thy people and thy children and thy wives and all thy goods. And thou shalt have great sickness by disease of thy bowels until thy bowels fall out by reason of sickness day by day. We also read that God stirred up his enemies and they came up into Judah and break into it and carried away all the substance that was found in the king's house and his sons also and his wives. So that there was never a son left him save Jehoahaz, the youngest of his sons. He died a truly awful death, and he was under the judgment of God. His only remaining son, Jehoahaz, continued in his paths of wickedness. Being guided by his mother, Athaliah, he would eventually take the throne, only to hold it for a single year before being killed by Jehu in judgment for Ahab's sins. His mother Athaliah would usurp the throne and attempt to destroy the entire royal seed of the house of David in a bid for absolute power. One grandson, Jehoash, escaped. And it was his son, Amaziah, that we're reading about tonight. Both Jehoash and Amaziah are by some accounts considered good kings. And I suppose that when you compare them to the open wickedness of the others, they might be. But in reality... I think that a closer look will reveal that they were not in fact good in the truest sense of the word. For Jehoash only followed the Lord as long as his savior and mentor Jehoiada, the priest, lived. And Amaziah only did outwardly what was right, but not with his whole heart. 
Jehoash was saved as a baby from certain destruction by his aunt, the wife of Jehoiada the priest. He owed not only his life to them, but also his kingdom. And the scripture says that as long as the priest lived, he did do that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Even going so far as to restore the temple and reinstate the worship of Jehovah. But most, if not all of the good things that are recorded uh, you know, in, in his life <coughs> could be directly, to tied, directly tied to the influence of the priest, Jehoiada. It appeared that Jehoash was with him in his reforms, but sadly it seems that either through weakness of character or perhaps a lack of real desire, he was only doing what pleased the eyes while his heart was far from God. For as soon as the overlooking eyes of Jehoiada closed in death, he brought the idols of the nations from around them into Israel and set them up to be worshipped. In fact, so great was his hardness of heart and rebellion of spirit that it was under his rule and even at his command that Jehoiada's son, Zechariah, was martyred. For Zechariah, upon seeing the departure of the king into open idolatry, confronted him and the people, saying, Thus saith God, Why transgress ye the commandments of the Lord, that ye cannot prosper? Because ye have forsaken the Lord, he hath also forsaken you. And they conspired against him, and stoned him with stones at the commandment of the king in the court of the house of the Lord. Thus Joash, or Jehoash, the king, remembered not the kindness with Jehoiada, his father, had done to him, but slew his son. And when he died, he said, The Lord look upon it and require it. And require it he did, for this Zechariah was the last recorded martyr of the Old Testament, and was most likely that Zechariah referred to by our Lord in the Gospel when he said that the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world, may be required of this generation from the blood of Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, which perished between the altar and the temple. Verily I say unto you, it shall be required of this generation. Jehoash was assassinated, and his son Amaziah took the throne. So this is the backdrop of the life of King Amaziah. Not a happy or a holy place he finds himself born into. The kingdom had just come through a period of, of tremendous upheaval, tumult, wickedness, bloodshed. Had it not been for the godly influence of Jehoiada the priest, perhaps all would have been lost. And even though Jehoiada the priest had done much to restore the worship of God, Jehoash the king had done much to undo and undermine it. The day in which Amaziah began his rule was one in which the temple had been newly renovated, and the worship of God had been reinstated. But all of this had quickly taken a secondary, or at best, a place of shared reverence with the gods of the heathen. We are introduced to our king tonight with a couple very sobering statements. In 2 Kings, we read, And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, yet not like his father David. He did according to all things as Joash his father did. And in 2 Chronicles, we read, And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a whole heart, and according to all things as Joash, his father, had done. 
It seems a little strange that the writer here says that he did that, which was right in the sight of the Lord. And it is a statement, I think, that causes many to try to find enough good in the short account of his life to number him among the good kings. <clears throat> I don't think he should be, but I'm not, that's not my design tonight to try to solve uh, that paradox. I do think what we have before us is a man that at the very best was half-hearted in his devotion to God and at worst, a total hypocrite. A close look at the life of Amaziah reveals a man with a proud, unteachable, and prayerless heart but a man with an outward life that was good enough to be considered good. Some say that he began well and ended badly, but I think that more than likely he began badly and ended horribly. What we know of him is very limited, but it is very instructive. He began his reign by punishing those who had killed his father, and we read, but he slew not their children. But as it is written in the law of the book of Moses, where the Lord commanded, saying, the fathers shall not die for the children, neither shall the children die for the fathers, but every man shall die for his own sin. This is often pointed out as a proof that he was a good king, and in, in this he did do well. But I wonder if this particular act is not set there out of all the acts of his life to put before us the fact that a man is not judged by what his fathers have done. That even though a man does not have a good heritage, <clears throat> even though his fathers did not set a good example for him, it would not be his father's sins that he would stand in judgment for, but his own. That a man stands or falls by his own actions, by the turnings of his own heart before the Lord. And even though no one will be judged based upon another's sin, so also none can escape his own responsibility. We live in a culture, even in the church, that desperately needs to own this. It is not our upbringing. It is not our past. It is not our genetics. It's not anything or anyone it's, that is the cause of our standing or falling before the Lord. Amaziah could have set his heart to follow the Lord. He could have sought him with all of his might. He could have humbled himself and put his trust in the Almighty. He could have trusted that the Lord was able to give him much more than this. But instead, he did not seek the Lord. He was prayerless, he was proud, and he was unteachable. And ultimately, as we will see, he was destroyed. The next thing we read in his history is that he numbered the people for war. <clears throat> and when he felt there were not enough, like his fathers before him, he turned to the arm of the flesh for help rather than to the Lord. Like his fathers, he looked not to the Lord, but to the wicked for his help. He was rebuked and seemingly turned away from this. But let's consider that for a moment. We do not read that he sought the Lord. What we read is that a prophet was sent to him, just as had been done with his father. He did not humble himself in prayer. He was not seeking a word from the Lord, but the prophet came nonetheless. And his message was essentially this. Israel is forsaken by God. God will not bless this unholy alliance. If you take them, you will be overcome. A pretty simple message. <clears throat> and it is somewhat admirable that the king does turn away from taking them, even though it cost him 100 talents of silver. <coughs> but look at this exchange. 
The prophet warns. And what does Amaziah say? I have sinned in seeking the arm of the flesh and not in seeking the Lord Jehovah. No. I will do as you say. No. Rather, what about my money? What about my money? It's the wrong question. And it exposes a wrong heart. It shows us that what was first and foremost on his mind was not the glory of God. It was not obedience to God, but his own loss. And it is only after the assurance of the prophet that his loss will be more than recovered that he relents and sends the soldiers away. And again... I think the message in all of this, or the point in all of this, is not that he did eventually give way to the prophet, but that he even asked this question to begin with. This was not a wholehearted response to the word of the Lord. Our first and primary response when we are shown our sin ought not be, oh, but it will cost me dear to turn away. But rather our first thought ought to be, what will it cost me if I don't? Or maybe better still, what will it cost my Lord if I persist? The prophet's response is simple. God can give you much more than this. So the prophet's stern warning is essentially this. If you persist, O king, if you cannot let go of your silver and trust the Lord, you will perish. But God can give you much more than this. So the king relents and gives way. But again... Not with a whole heart. He gives God credit for his victory in that we read in the parallel account in 2 Kings 14 that he renamed the Edomite city taken in battle, Chakthiel, which means the blessedness of God. But if you take this as an act of wholehearted devotion, you will be shocked to see in the very next breath that he is bowing down before their idols. Now it came to pass... After that, Amaziah was come from the slaughter of the Edomites, that he brought the gods of the children of Seir and set them up to be his gods and bowed down himself before them and burned incense unto them. His response is shocking if you believe that he was truly serving the Lord in the one instance and then the idols of the Edomites in another. This is a turn that seems totally out of place, almost nonsensical, if his turning the mercenaries away was to be viewed as an act of devotion to God. But, if we look a little more closely, I think we can see that it was not out of character for him. He had a divided heart. It was God and mammon. Not God alone that prompted the question, what shall we do about the silver? His behavior is not that inconsistent at all when you consider that the heathen often took the gods of those they conquered for their own. Amaziah was actually not being consistent at all. For in his mind, serving God and the God of the Edomites, the gods of the Edomites, didn't pose a problem. He renamed the city for one, and he bowed down to the other. Now we read once again, even though he was not seeking it, the word of the Lord comes to him. 
The anger of the Lord was kindled against Amaziah, and he sent unto him a prophet, which said unto him, Why hast thou sought after the gods of the people, which could not deliver their own people out of thine hand? And it came to pass, as he talked with him, that the king said unto him, Art thou made of the king's counsel? Forbear, for why shouldest thou be smitten? Then the prophet forbear, and said, I know that God hath determined to destroy thee, because thou hast done this, and hast not hearkened unto my counsel. And Amaziah, like his father before him, persisted in his idolatry, willing even to shed blood to continue in it. The next steps of his life, which we do not have time to delve into, show us the proud and presumptuous heart. Presumptuous because I think his challenge to Israel in verses 17 through 24 was undertaken under the false assumption that God would do as he had done to the Edomites, thinking that God was still with him even though he had other masters. Sadly, he discovered that God is not mocked, that you cannot serve two masters. His life followed the course of his father before him and ended the same way. He was humiliated, hunted down, and assassinated. He died without hope. But it did not have to be so. For there is one jewel in all of this that rings true to our redeemed ears. God is able to give you more than this. Had he understood those words in more than a carnal way, had he embraced them in all of their spiritual truth, had he set his heart on serving the Lord as did his father David, things would have been very different for him. And I want to close tonight by just asking a few questions by way of application. And the first would be this. Do we believe that God is able to give us much more than this? I believe that all sin in the heart of man boils down to the answer of this question. Do we really believe that God is better than our sin? For it is only when we do not believe this that we choose lesser things you know there's something there's something interesting about this I didn't mention it but the gods of the Edomites we don't know anything about them they're a complete blank to us and I think that's probably helpful because if we had them enumerated for us we could maybe take our own idols and say well they don't match so that doesn't apply to me but they're a blank And I think what we can gain from that is just the fact that we can make anything an idol. Even good things. Even good things. And I ask again, do we believe that God is able to give us much more than this? Do we believe that he is sufficient to satisfy all our heart's longings and desires? Or... Do we serve God and money? God and our job. God and our spouse or our children. God and our video games. God and our ungodly music. God and our pornography. God and our sports. God and you fill in the blank. We can fill in the blank. Are we seeking the Lord with our whole hearts or are we waiting for a prophet to come to us? When he comes... Do we bristle at his message? 
Do we make excuses for our sin? Or do we embrace the light, even though it may be costly to us? In other words, are we killing sin? Or is sin killing us? Do we look to the Lord alone for our strength and wisdom? Or do we also look to the arm of flesh, to worldly wisdom, psychology, the counsel of the ungodly? The way we spend our time, the things we gravitate toward in these moments that are not called for in the line of duty speak volumes about us, and we spoke about that on Sunday. Where and in what do we find our rest? God is able to give you much more than this. God would have all of our hearts. And the question is, will we give them to him? Amaziah tried to have it both ways, and he was destroyed. He did not have to be. God was able to give him much more. And we must hear the words of the prophet tonight with spiritual ears ourselves. God is able to give you much more than this.